0: G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch. Let's head into our feature guest.
1: Over at TikTok... One user has been cutting through the OzPol narrative, particularly with a trio of musical interpretations of a press conference where the Prime Minister of Australia favourites one journalist over another. The pianist and singer behind them is Gabby Bolt. Before getting big online, they had a physical release out called Grey Into Blue. On CD, no less. From their home in Bathurst, New South Wales, Gabby joins us now.
0: Jeremy Fernandez, or Jez News on Twitter, says, What a talent. And Mark Humphreys, who can be seen on 7.30. Wonderful, is what he's described. Our guest today's work through the Poll lens. Gabby Bolt, welcome to Radio Notes. <laughs> you legend yourself. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: How are you, as a TikTok star of the Poll world, taking this?
2: Um... I have had TikTok for a few months, but I never really intended on using it to broadcast my own stuff at all. It was mostly like the way everybody else has TikTok just to follow content. Um, And through quarantine, I just decided to make this silly little song. Honest to God, I had no intention of it going remotely viral. I'm still bewildered. I think a lot of people are assuming I'm younger than I am though too. I'm, I'm 23. So I've had a few people be like, teenagers on TikTok. And I was like... Oh, I'm one of them now. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll take it,
0: though. Andrew, Andrew, I'm sorry, you've had several questions. Andrew, Andrew, I'm sorry. Andrew, I know, but you don't run the press conference, OK?
2: Andrew, I'm sorry. I'm just asking questions. Andrew, I know it's literally my job. But you don't run the press conference. my question of members of the of of the group. Catherine hasn't had a question. I respect that. I'm happy to return oh, but to But I you. hope that she'll return Let's to just me. Keep it civil after
0: Catherine. It's a trio, really. It's it mm. it's, it's a trio of songs, and I guess in a way it's kind of finished now, but Talk us through the three stages of grief, no, of the TikTok.
2: <laughs> so the first one is completely verbatim. The only real reason I made it the way that I did was that there's a real trope in um, r and music to sort of say, like, I'm sorry and I know. And, like, I hear that a lot in a lot of the 90s stuff that I really love. So I I heard it immediately. Um, so I made Eskoma's obvious verbatim word-for-word lyric. And then a lot of people were just like, oh, we need, we need a duet, we need a duet. So... I wrote sort of my interpretation of Andrew Proben's perspective. Um, Again, completely my interpretation. I have no idea if it reflects the views of these actual people. And then people after that one were like, well, now we need Catherine, Um, obviously. And I wanted to give a voice to Catherine too, because I feel like within this whole meme that's gone viral, the Andrew Proben thing, Catherine does get the short straw there. Not many people talk about Catherine's accolades as well. So yeah, I just decided to layer them up from what I thought their perspectives would be.
0: For those playing at home, particularly internationally, ScoMo is a guy called Scott Morrison, who is the Prime Minister of Australia at the moment. Andrew Proben is part of the Australian Broadcasting Commission. And Catherine Murphy is of The Guardian, uh, both online, but obviously used to be a newspaper as well.
2: For me, it was just a big, silly, fun... Songwriting exercise for me.
0: We then noticed after that particular press or a press conference is known that uh, the Prime Minister then decided to go from right to left and Catherine yeah. got chosen before Andrew. And I get a feeling I've done press conferences in my time back in the John Howard <laughs> days, really don't want to be picked on as the next person. You want to go when you're ready.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, my brother's a journalist and my partner is also a journalist. I mean, on a much smaller scale, local journalism, but I feel like most journalists, even local on a local scale that I've met, they just want the information. They just want to do their job. They don't want to try and bring too much, I guess, personality or ego into it. I mean, that's what I've noticed, but um, I'm not a journalist, so.
0: More about, look, I just want to get these facts.
2: Yeah, And because we're broadcasting
0: the press conference, we're getting to see a bit of that.
2: Yeah, I need the valid information um, for my job. Yeah, just to do do your work. So,
0: Proben's got back to you. Has Murphy yet?
2: Um, Murphy actually retweeted the first version of the video, so just ScoMo's version, and she said I, I loved it. She said um, this one really builds, and then added a little gold star. So I just sort of that was the first actual in person of anybody in that video interaction I had. And I was a bit um, starstruck by that just because I was like, I can't believe people have seen it. At that point, I didn't think anybody had really seen it. Andrew Proven hasn't written anything to me, but he has chucked me a few sneaky likes on Twitter, and, and I'll take that, Andrew. That's fair enough. <laughs> and that, as for ScoMo, I, I haven't heard yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm open 24-7 to hear from ScoMo, so that's fine.
0: Madeline Morris I saw, and um, the ABC News Breakfast team have been pretty much on top of this as well. I just get that, yeah. that general feeling. This little leg's done now, isn't
2: it? Yes. It's, I, I think it, I've done everything I can with it, that little song. But I have been making other political influence little song skits just because I've always really loved having a laugh at OzPol. I'm a 96 baby and I grew up with The Chaser and with Beyond ABC, Sideshow, Good News Week, things like that. I love things like that. I love The Daily Show, uh, John Stewart's Daily Show back in the day. So I don't know. I just, I like mixing my art form with relevant political content. I, I just enjoy doing that.
0: Our The Chaser lads, was Andrew Hansen yeah. the one?
2: Uh, for me, I mean, I loved all of them, but yeah, for me as a musician, Andrew Hansen, I used to look up to immensely. I mean, I used to learn the little songs he'd do word for word, and you know what? It's actually really bad because I'm an Elton John fan, but for ages I couldn't sing anything. But oh, he wrote it for the Today Tonight reporter. Goodbye, plastic face, da 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 da, and that's all I could think. It was like candle in the wind. I was like, chaser. I also really liked, um, he did Prolific Songwriter as well, where it was just a song about fitting too many syllables in one line. I just thought that was very funny. Um, I loved when he did the warehouse guy voice in a song where he just yelled the whole thing. I just remember all of them. My brother and I used to watch The Chaser all the time, and my mum will probably hate me telling you that because we ran into them once. I'm from Bathurst, New South Wales, but we went to Sydney for a trip and we ran into them filming, I think it was like a Vitabrits skit, just a random skit, and three of them were there. And I was about 11 years old and I ran up to Andrew Hanson. I ran. I, like, nothing could stop me. I just ran. And I went up to him and I was like, are you from The Chaser? And he was like, oh, um, yeah. And I said, you guys are amazing. I love you so much. And my mum literally walked the other direction because she was so scared that they were then going to do a segment on bad parents.
0: <laughs> His Doctor Who parody.
2: <laughs> so good. Yes. The Doctor Who theme song parody, the guy who wrote that. I also love to mention, too, I think ABC at the time was – exposing me to all of these comedians and all of sort of people mixing music and comedy like tripod as well love them uh, tim mentions an absolute i would die if i ever met him i've heard as well from a lot of people who have met him just in passing that he's a lovely guy he was my first concert at the sydney opera house and i cried my eyes out i thought it was amazing
0: what was your doug anthony experience being a 23 year old it might have been a little bit different to those on a bit
2: Yeah. I have my brother sort of to thank for a lot of these influences. He's about three years older than me and he's very, very smart. He got given all these DVDs because back in the day of like DVDs, I guess now it's not a thing. My mum would always go to the ABC bookshop that we have here in Bathurst and get like comedy DVDs. So he had, that's how we had The Chaser because we watched that on ABC and then mum would buy the DVD and we'd watch all The Chasers rewind, rewind, rewind. And so she thought, well, if Sam likes The Chaser, I might buy the Doug Anthony Allstars. because My mum is a 60s baby, so she was, you know, in her 20s when the Doug Anthony stars were doing all the back political content on TV, on the big gig. So I would just end up watching them with Sam, and Sam had to explain all of the jokes to me because there was things like writing Krishna, writing Shotgun on the stagecoach of my life, which I think is a great song, but I, at the time I was only, again, 12 or 11. I didn't know what was going on at the time. So, But my brother's a history buff, so he just loved finding out and then mm-hmm. telling me so. Um, but, yeah, and I still remember Kylie and Jason. That was the first one I did understand because I was like, oh, yes, Neighbours, I get that. And I still remember they did The Girl Is Mine, but they took off that audience member's shoe and then, like, stuffed it. And <laughs> Oh, my God. they were incredible. And then, yeah, they did a tour and they actually did a regional tour and they came to Bathurst as Flacco Paul and Tim and I went and saw that in 2015, and then Tim also did a solo show just recently, and I went and saw that too with my brother. Great show, amazing comedian,
0: awesome dude. We will move on, but Tim's book is called Cheeky Monkey for those. Yes, I
2: have it. Yeah, I own it. Yeah, I love it. It's a great book. It's a really good read, actually.
0: Gabby Bold is our special guest here on Radio Notes. She's a bit of a TikTok sensation. Before we do continue, what is that TikTok handle where people need to get on down Ah. with it?
2: It's at Fettuccini, like the pasta, and then fetu, as in you're starting to write fettuccine again, queen. So you go fettuccine, feta queen, and you should find me. Otherwise, my handle is Gabby. I think like the, my name above that, like the title you can change, is just my first name, Gabby. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the long name.
0: <laughs> That's right. Before the internet, there was a thing called books, and we were talking about Cheeky yeah. Monkey. What did you enjoy or get from reading Tim Ferguson's Cheeky Monkey?
2: I think I find it really hard to know what's good content coming from my own, like when I'm writing songs, I find it really, really hard to give myself a set of examples or exercises to help me write better. And I know that I don't, like my actual career, I don't really write many comedy songs, but just having a book outlining like devices, you can use very, very simple devices in some ways on how to create original content or funny content. is just, I just thought it was a really interesting read and it was really interesting to see something as subjective as comedy be analyzed in such a way I think it was really great and then I and you know it took me back to when in his show that he just did he made us do one of the exercises which was adding or taking away a word from any kind of movie title and changing it and my brother screamed he loved it he came out with Game of Porcelain Thrones it's just a nice book to make you feel less weird about trying new things like comedy devices
0: On reading it, did you get a better Mm. sense of that early Doug Anthony All-Stars because obviously it was three of them? Did you get a better sense of what the Doug Anthonys were about?
2: Well, Tim definitely started to make a lot of sense to me because Tim to me in Doug Anthony All-Stars was always the goofy one. I feel like he was very goofy, but he's incredibly intelligent and I think the book finally made sense to his physical humour. I think like using word device and physical humour and like intonation and how to use your voice to change things, like I just – Yeah, their goofiness started to make a lot of logical sense. I mean, not that I'd never loved it before, but it was quite interesting to see the inner workings of how I'm sure they wrote a lot of their songs. Paul was very much the overt, the sort of aggravator, the kind of rude boy, the bad boy, which I loved as a kid. R.I.P. Rude Boy, Paul McDermott. Tim, to me, was like a puppy. I feel like Tim, to me, was like the opposite of that, so very quite. Well, not wholesome, I guess. He was also a bit rude, but, like, just goofy, happy, uh, positive. And then Richard played that so well that, like, I'm just here. <laughs> like, Richard was always just, I guess I'm here now. I'm doing this. And then they'd take the piss out of Richard. It worked really, really well. And I'm sure that the three of them had such a great connection to be able to pull that off so genuinely every night, I think. A real testament.
0: Now in a wheelchair, Tim is still very much a physical presence on stage.
2: <laughs> so funny my god his show because like you you do you have this you go in with like a pre-assumption of being like oh my god I feel so sorry I feel so sorry for him and the first thing he does is just like absolutely shreds that wall to pieces like he's just like no I'm still the exact same and he really really is he is such an amazing guy and comedian and he's from this area he's from Blaney. So um, that's about 20 minutes out from where I live. So it was really quite special to see him. And to see him also because I obviously was only born in 96. I didn't know that he had so many shows and writing credits with Channel 9. And his dad's a journalist as well. I was about to say his father was a
0: war correspondent.
2: Yeah, incredible stuff.
0: What I wanted to talk to you about was that you actually do have, apart from being the TikTok, you have some music out, which uh, came out Mm. in 2018, a full EP called Grey Into Blue, a standalone Mm -hmm. single called Girls' Eyes I'd like to get to a little later, but you also did some drought relief late 2019 through Lifeline, which uh, if we can start there, what is it like at the moment in Bathurst Uh, and in regional Australia?
2: in Bathurst I mean during the drought time it was it was really apparent that people were struggling I mean Bathurst is actually quite a populated town it's not quite a city but it's you know 47,000 people it's it's quite a center of central west it's a bit of a hub here but you only have to drive max 25 minutes 30 minutes into those farmland areas just to see how hard they were getting it they were struggling to afford to feed their livestock and because of people not buying locally you know it the farming industry took a real turn and also when it would rain even when it would rain here in those very occasional moments where it would it wouldn't rain in those dry areas like karkor a lot of those smaller inland areas wouldn't get the rain that we were getting it was devastating to watch and so lifeline central west and a man called chris schubert who is one of the members of a band, The Safety of Life at Sea, and a really good friend of mine decided to put this album together, this Christmas album, because he, I mean, the thing about Bathurst and the music scene out this way is that everyone's mates. We all know each other. Um, it's kind of hard. Like you can't really have many enemies in a small town like Bathurst. And mm. also you wouldn't want to. Everyone's very accommodating. And and we all work together. I mean, Smith and Jones, another really powerful girl duo have practically helped me get to even just where I am here in Bathurst with the music scene. They're incredible songwriters. They've got two albums out as well. Safety Black and Sea, I think, are working on their third. Now they're about to release their new hit. Other members of that album, Cindy Fox. There was also a bishop. A local bishop sang a very beautiful sort of musical theory song called It Starts With A Star. Just really great to see so many different musos and sometimes not even musos, just different people who wanted to get in on this. And Chris That's the network. Like Chris just put the feelers out and we all went, yep, no worries. Like that's just what it's like.
0: That Bishop one sounds very much like a a great story idea as well from where they're coming from.
2: Yeah, it was, it's, I mean, because I'm an atheist and my song is all about, like I really shouldn't have any traditions considering that fact, but it was lovely to talk to her and her, her song is obviously based on the story of Jesus and I felt really privileged to be able to be a part of an album that shares so many different ideas. I know somebody else's song was about... You know, this time of year I think of my mum who's passed away and this time of year I don't always find it very happy Another ones like I can't get back home for Christmas and so the album's just super varied in the types of ways that you can think about Christmas because not everyone thinks about it as this beautiful, joyous occasion. I know we're referencing
0: back to a a name we've already mentioned but I think it's important, Mm. particularly when what you were able to do with the album you were on was successfully put those different factors in, an atheist and yeah. a bishop on the same album, is that of yeah. Tim Minchin's White Wine in the Sun where the Salvation yes. Army had an issue with it.
2: Yes. Yep. Um, and we all love that song too. Every, every single person I know loves that song. Every single Australian I know loves White Wine in the Sun. Um, and I think that's where Chris sort of, he knew that a lot of us, I mean I already had, I'd written that my song about a year before we recorded it, so he knew I had one, he knew Smith & Jones had one. Um, he knew a few other people, Andy Nelson, He and he had one. And, it, and then he asked all the other muses if they wanted to write one, they could. And, yeah, it is, it's very reminiscent of that. Um, I don't think anyone really got mad at our album. But then again, I mean, I'd love for it to get bigger. So, I mean, there's always Christmas this year. Buy it. Feel free.
0: <laughs> Isn't it such a, uh, a dampener on society that people need to get mad and angry to actually react to things?
2: Yeah, I think – I've learned through having a bit of a political voice that you can't focus on the what ifs. I think like you can only do the best you can with the resources you have because if you focus on I have to get it perfect for absolutely every single perspective, then you're just going to find yourself not creating anything because you're going to get so wound up in everybody else being happy when you could just be creating content or art that you really believe in. And obviously, you know, don't go out of your way to be malicious, but mine is very much, it's very, very clear. I don't believe in anything. I don't have any money. I don't really do much at Christmas time, but I never really saw anybody getting mad at that fact. I think because if you're upfront and honest about it, like the worst they can say is, well, I don't agree with that. And then the best I can say to that is, well, I i apologize. I mean, I'm sorry. You don't believe in that. Feel free to ignore this content. You know what I mean? So because I think if I found myself getting caught up in making every single perspective happy, I probably wouldn't make anything. <laughs> normally, as a rule, too fixed
0: normally as a rule, people shouldn't talk about well, religion or politics. But let's mm. ask: where does that kernel of your political belief come from?
2: Um, I don't really. I mean, I don't really know. My parents have both always raised me on info, like just go for policy, not for the person. Like, vote for policy not for personality. I'm a very emotional person. I actually really struggle with that. I have to, and I'm really glad that I've got a lot of journalists around me who can help me verify what's real and what's not. But I guess because I'm an artist, because I am quite an emotional thinker, um, and I'm quite a socialist. I mean, my mum works in disability, has for my whole life. Yeah, and my brother's a journalist and my boyfriend's a journalist. I just believe that everyone should be treated with empathy. I really think that Empathy is key to understanding all walks of life. And so I guess at the moment that's sort of why I fall a little bit more left than I do right. Um, I'm also from a regional town, though, so, you know, to see communities out this way, public schools don't get nearly the funding that these huge private schools get, and so that's another reason I end up just leaning that way. I don't don't really go out of my way to try and aggravate the Liberal Party either. I'm not saying that – I don't really go out of my way to make it my constant – thought to be political every single day. But I do like highlighting the funny side of politics because that's all we can really do in times like this when we're cooped up <laughs> in our houses and, and it still falls in with what I believe in as well.
0: Grey Into Blue, as I mentioned, was the peak. Can we talk about Girls' Eyes though, which looks at consent and that of being mm-hmm. a woman in the world?
2: Yeah, I mean that song was written out of um, – I don't want to – well, yeah, anger. I mean it was written out of frustration for the fact that I'd actually written it just before Eurydice Dixon, um, Eurydice Dixon, who was really violently murdered and it made national news and she was a comedian, mid like early 20s comedian walking home from work.
0: This Um, was written before that?
2: Yeah, literally. It was really spooky. It was written about three days before that happened, not in full. I had just the bridge. I just had that call and response bridge and I just was like it's not done yet and then that happened and I was just so upset at yet another statistic in this country that we just I don't know why it makes headlines for about a week and then we just as a country collectively ignore it ignore the problem that we have in this country with domestic violence behind closed doors or even just you know on the streets like Eurydice was and I was sick and tired, like we can post. I, I was always one of those people that when something awful happens, I voice my opinion on social media, but I'd reached the point at that point after so many people had been, uh, well, yeah, murdered, after so many women had been murdered mm-hmm. at the hands of gendered violence, that I was like, I'm sick of just saying stuff. Like I'm sick of just saying, like what am I doing? What am I actually doing to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help this situation? And because, you know, I'm in a really supportive community, I put – feelers out on Facebook and I said I've written this song I want to get the local women in my community involved you don't have to be a singer you don't even have to sing if you don't want to you just have to be able to put your face to something or even just support it in a way of buying it I'm going to do this album and at the time I was actually recording my EP ages ago I'd booked my recording of the EP here in Bathurst so the band and I were all going to be here and I told them the day of and I went we're gonna record this song I hope that's cool and they went yep no worries. And my recording engineer, Tim Roebuck was lovely. and He actually recorded that song on the house. And the guys from Rusty Shutter Films who filmed the film clip filmed it and edited it also for free because people in this community were just like me, incredibly outraged and trying to put their voice to something that would actually help. And so what ended up happening was I took the women who turned up, I said, turn up to the theatre at this time, on this day. I do not mind what you want to wear. You can wear whatever you like. You can put on makeup if you want. You don't Like literally just come as you are, as you feel comfortable coming. And I had a great turnout of women of all ages. I had women inboxing me saying that they had been a part of abusive relationships and that they'd come and put their face to something so public I just thought was so – amazing and and that's the only reason why I haven't put all the names of the women in the film clip because Mm. some of them didn't want their name attached to it and that's totally understandable but yeah I'm forever thankful to the women of this community that decided to come forward and do that with me and that is really them singing I didn't have a choir or anything pre-recorded that was a live record so what you see in that film clip is actually them a bunch of really really awesome amazing strong women and the song ended up raising about six hundred dollars which was incredible. And I split it between the local refuge here, Bathurst Orange area, Central West, and also nationally the Full Stop Foundation, which I believe have actually changed their name now. Head to the show notes, the
0: full video is there, which sounds like was done for free by those all involved. So if for no other reason to get the eyeballs across that, issues Mm. within that very song.
2: started sort of writing it before, you know, the news of Eurydice And that was based on my own experience and also friends of mine. I mean, everyone knows somebody who has been touched by gendered violence or gendered discrimination. You know, it started with little things for me, just things like, I mean, I used to play in a duo with my really good friend who's still in my band, TJ, and he's this massive Samoan dude, big, tall Samoan block of a guy. And, you know, I'd be bringing our gear in and then the people running the gig would be like, okay, mate, where do you want this? And he was great and he used to be like, "Um, it's not my gear, ask Gabby. Just little things like that, like little things like I don't know how to plug in a keyboard apparently or like I've had people try and give me a kiss on the cheek while playing at a pub who don't know me, you know, and I'm just like it's so obvious. If I don't say you can do it, don't do it. And so it started as that and that's not even touching the surface of what some women have experienced. Um, and then I started talking to my peers and my friends and older women and younger women and then that song came about I just wanted to make things very very clear of where I stood on the issue and where the country should stand women are equal in every way to men and they deserve the right for autonomy over their own body
0: you're still yeah you're still pretty young in years and I say that respectfully in terms of early <laughs> yes. early 20s um thank you <laughs> some people think you're a teenager you know maybe they'll be yes, more disrespectful I'll, I'll than me it. But I still think you have an idea of where those next few generations will be encountering Mm. these issues. What's your heart or what your gut? Let's start with the gut. What's your gut saying about the future for them in terms of that issue?
2: I mean, the way to deal with it, it's, it's not just dealing with women. Like a lot of people like to make this issue women versus men. How do we teach men not to do this to women and how do we teach women to protect themselves? And what it really should be is defending the idea that everyone can have equal parts femininity and masculinity. It's defending femininity because not only are men from a very young age, you know, I remember when I was growing up, like it's like a a boy would pull your pigtails and that meant he liked you. That's a really common example used when we're talking about this issue. And that's what you just sort of say to yourself when you were a kid. I think now we are trying to, I mean, we teach kids don't hug anybody unless you ask first Um, A lot of schools are, I, I think, perpetuating that idea, like always to all boys and girls, ask anybody before you touch them, ask them before you shake their hand, say, can I please do this? But it's also combating the idea that men are allowed to be emotional as well. Femininity as a construct is not a bad thing. I think that's where the lines really get skewed because a lot of people, I was really, really scared when I released that song that a lot of people would be like, oh, well, men can be feminists too. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that women deserve to put their face to something like this because statistically it is nine women getting killed to every one man. That is a statistic and I'm all for combating all aspects of that. And I know that there are very, very supportive men in the community as well. I think it starts with deconstructing this gender role idea not necessarily physical genders of like men versus women but i think expressing that femininity can be celebrated as well as masculinity in all genders
0: in your heart how do you feel about up and coming teenage generations
2: i feel quite hopeful i mean i actually i work as a teacher i'm a music tutor and the kids that i see every day and i mean i don't really talk to them about this stuff very often my job is to teach them music But all the young boys I teach are very respectful. All the girls are very respectful. Everyone's quite strong. They're always looking out for each other. I think there is, I mean, I'm very, I'm I'm obviously talking about my micro world. I'm not really, I haven't really observed the next generation that much because if I do, I'm worried what I will find. But of what I've seen and what I've experienced, I'm quite hopeful. I think the next generation are actually quite on it about what's considered okay and what's not okay anymore because they don't have the history there behind them. There's not this history of women. Back in the 50s, we didn't have work. We went back to not having jobs because the war ended, things like that, that influenced somebody's opinion about masculinity and femininity. I think kids these days, they're growing up in a more equal society. We're not quite there yet, but they definitely are growing up in a far more equal society than, say, my mum grew up in.
0: The reason why I ask that is because you are in those early 20 years, you, you, you're in that place where you can navigate where you want to go, but you also can mm. put a hand back to the up and coming generations as well. And as you said, as a music yeah. tutor, you're actually at that coal face.
2: Yeah. And it's hard. I, I'm sort of the very, very end of the millennial cusping there. I'm not, I'm, I'm technically Gen Z, but I'm not really, I mean, as I said, I didn't even really use TikTok until a week ago. I know about the history of what's happened in the past and now I'm trying to, I'm also trying to teach my students as well to treat everyone with respect as I'm sure most teachers in the world are trying to teach kids to respect each other and be kind to each other and be okay with being vulnerable because I think for so long that wasn't taught, it was taught to be strong and don't cry and deal with it, get on with it, whereas now I think it's a lot more empathetic.
0: G'day. This is Casey Barnes. My brand new album, *Town of a Million Dreams*, out now, and you're listening to Radio Notes. I want to get to your musical style because it has been a couple of years since there's been a release from Gabby Bolt yeah. and now with a bit of fame may come a bit of excitement to get some new music out there.
2: Yeah, I have actually. I'm almost at an album's worth of new songs. My bands, who haven't really made an appearance on my TikTok yet, but I'm sure they would love to, incredible players made up of Kelly Miller, my drummer, Carl Serna, my bassist, TJ Tanovasa, my rhythm guitarist and vocalist. We were starting to rehearse a lot more often. They live in Sydney, so they're about three hours away from me here. So we did a lot of distance rehearsals. We've done a few gigs together. But, yeah, we've just made a plan right before all this COVID stuff happened to see each other every fortnight. I'd go up there once a month. They'd come down here once a month. But now with social distancing, we've had to sort of go back to online, sending them my demos, and they play back. But, yeah, we've got a few songs in the works. The problem is just funding it because the first EP was almost self-funded. So I'm just sort of trying to save up the bank.
0: Is that going to change the nature of the album, do you think? Is it going to change the musical Mm. genre?
2: I mean, yeah, it it very well might become a lot more produced because I have now a lot more time to myself uh, to sort of experiment, I guess, with different sounds. A lot of my sound on the first EP is very, I mean, that was all live records, so not much tracking at all. So that was all organic instruments. There's no real electronic sounds at all, very- I would love to try and delve into some electronic sounds.
0: That first EP has some very clean records then, and uh, as you mentioned, yeah. TJ is an amazing artiste uh, coming through uh,
2: that. He's an incredible vocalist. Such an inc- They're all, so I'm constantly blown away by the talent of that band. My drummer, Kelly, too, she's an incredible woman, and I actually met her once before she decided to come down and record the EP. I met her. She dates my bassist, Carl, and she filled in for a drummer that couldn't make it one day for a gig. And then I went, I love you so much. You're my drummer now. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, TJ is incredible. I've known TJ for many years. I've known Carl for a fair few years as well. Yeah, I'm always blown away by it. I love playing with other people. That's what I actually have found really quite hard about social isolation is I love... Playing with others, including the people in this community, I love playing gigs with other people. We all support each other's gigs as well, so it's been really hard trying to um, think of ways to emulate that same sound with a solo setup.
0: This is an album of originals as well. Mm. So, what is that material for which this album? That well, this is probably the first time you are talking about what's it yeah, about. Where is Where's it coming from? <laughs>
2: That's a really great question. I've never really been asked that before. A lot of the songs come from a perspective. I mean, I wrote the majority of them apart from the title track, Grey into Blue. I wrote the other four when I was about 19. So, a while before I actually got around to recording it. Um, So, this is the EP we're talking about? Yeah, the EP, yeah. Um, And Holding On, the first track on it, was actually written in collaboration with a few other writers because I was a part of a band with one of my lecturers when I went to uni very briefly in Sydney named Gavin Ahern, who's an incredible piano player, really, really amazing. And he loved throwing me curveballs. He would write some music or he'd write a phrase, he'd write a chord progression or something, and the whole band would learn it very quickly. And then he'd go, okay, Gab, go get some lyrics. And I'd be like, oh, oh. And so he just sort of made it like a time-based exercise. And Holding On was written in about seven minutes, all of those words, just because I was loving the groove of it and I could hear where the melody would sit. And then after I started I decided to record the EP, I asked him and he said, Oh no, you have it. I haven't played it. So yeah, have it. So yeah, I have to give him credit for a lot of the, the chords in that song, his invention. But yeah, they all come from from a place of uncertainty. I feel like the running theme throughout all five of those tracks is just when you get to that post school, early twenties idea of life and you just you learn that nothing is like what you were told it was gonna be like. You have to work to live you find yourself working multiple jobs just to be able to pay your rent the world doesn't revolve around you sometimes you have to cut people out of your life like it's just I feel like a lot of it deals with that same gripping reality with the exception of making you mine that was an absolute kiss take (laughs) Uh, same sort of idea Gavin had written this beautiful love song and he'd actually written some words but he gave it to TJ and I as a duet by the way we are completely platonic TJ and I (laughs) so it was very funny to write And we went away and changed it all up and made it more of a duet than it was a solo song.
0: A lot of those great duo songs are platonic. It's because you get these two different relationships just putting them next to each other, not touching, just putting them next to
2: each other. Yeah, 100%. We were playing, like he wrote his verse as well. I should give him credit there. His lyrics are what he sings. And so we sort of were both going through a bit of like imaginary stories in our heads separately and then we sort of put them together and it just created this nice narrative. And then the the title track actually was born out of not having a title for this EP that we were recording in like two weeks. And I was freaking out. So I had, I don't know, half a cask of Goon because that's all I could afford at the time. And I listened to Joni Mitchell, Billy Joel and Stevie Wonder. I was just listening to a lot of older stuff at the time. And I ended up just writing that song in a night because I was like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I just had a proper moment of like, I don't know what I want out of my life whatsoever. I don't know what's feasible. I don't know what I can actually do with my life at this point. Are my dreams too big or are they too small? Do I not believe in myself enough? Should I believe in myself more? Do I actually have the capability to do more? And so that song was written very, very quickly and it was written the way that it sounds, just solo on a piano at like one in the morning. And the next day I went, that's it. It's the title of my EP. And so we recorded it and it was great.
0: Brand new album is slightly delayed because of the uh, social isolation. As we mentioned, it may be more produced because of that. But what is yeah. the heart and soul of this new album?
2: At the moment, it's a, I mean, it's a lot more positive, I think, than the last one. I think I'm a little bit more grounded in what I want from, you know, my relationships with people and friendships with people. It has a fair few more intricacies and I think I felt a lot more comfortable putting my real, it's not that I didn't put my real opinions on the last one, but I felt a lot more comfortable just letting the words happen with this one and not editing as much. There's a few songs there that do get a little bit political and they do get a little bit emotional. I'm really happy that I finally have a few that are actually just really nice, positive good listening songs. I've written one for a friend that was going through a tough time recently. And that was really nice to write because I love sending my demos off to people for their opinion. I love particularly my close friends and family. So when I sent her that song, I sent her first and I said, I just want you to know, I hope you're okay with me writing this song about you. And then she wrote back, I've sent it to my mom. I love it so much. So I, I really love writing songs in that way to, for, like, to help somebody else. It's now one of my favourite songs, so I hope I get to record it soon.
0: And now you're saying the album itself might have a bit of politics in it as well. So what kind yeah. of politics within the album?
2: I guess nothing's really that on the nose. Nothing is, as, is nearly as on the nose as my TikTok content is at the moment. I mean, there's a song I've written called Nice Guy, which is about experiences with people where you hear their reputation is that they're really lovely and they're a really nice guy and then they perpetuate... The problems within the way that uh, the power struggle in workplaces. Working with some with some men, so I wrote I wrote that song, but it's it's like a disco number though. So it's I really one of my favorite things to do is to is to write lyrically about some quite heavy topics and then put like really fun dance music to it or like upbeat music. There's another song called February, which is about cutting a friend out of your life, but it sounds like something out of Sesame Street, very jazzy upbeat maroon five early like sunday morning vibes that kind of thing i think i really like disguising my opinion uh within the construct of what a song normally sounds like to people i mean i mean i've actually played songs in the past where people are like oh my god who broke up with you and i'm like oh it's literally not even about that like i didn't even realize that's what you got from this so Really, I mean, it doesn't really worry me if people don't like every song I write. I mean, that's reality, not everyone's going to love everything. And I love when people take a meaning out of something that I didn't even have in my mind when I wrote it. And then there's just some really nice songs I wrote for friends and songs I've written about other people's love lives, because my love life's all right. I haven't really got anything juicy going on at the moment, so (laughs) I'm pretty stable, actually.
0: Stylistically, a bit more of the funk and the groove
2: in there. The last EP was written purely out of just I needed something. I needed something with my original songs in it. i have been trying to do an EP for ages and I finally had the chance, but we were very time-strapped. So we just sort of did what we could and we did the best we could, and I'm really proud of it. I think it's a great EP. But this one, because we started rehearsing a lot more regularly now, I've started going in and I really want to focus on the instrumentation a lot more, so like giving my band a lot more influence over you know some solos. I've got ama- like I've got the most amazing bassist, and then I realised on the last album I didn't give him a single bass solo, and he needs one. So I've started writing songs with others in mind, which is really great because it means we can tighten up the licks and the solos and the chords um, and make it seem a lot more coherent.
0: Are you feeling like you're not limited by because of the way music's released these days, and that it's mm. going to be full length album? You're not feeling restricted by how long the songs are, and that you can jazz out a little.
2: I mean. At first it was, yeah. At first it was very much like I have to have at least one that's good that's under three minutes for radio play. But at the same time, one of my favourite artists of all time is Alan Stone, and most of his songs are that exact vibe. He is the most amazing soul musician, and I barely hear him on the radio, which is such a travesty. He is so underrated. But... Most of his songs have that exact same, like most of them are about five minutes, if not longer. They fill me with such joy and it's just real music and you can tell it's real music being played. Not to say that electronic music isn't real music. I really appreciate some electronic stuff I've heard recently as well, but I just love hearing they're having fun. My favourite thing to hear on an album, particularly with soul music and jazz music, is like you can just hear the joy coming out of the speakers of the people playing their instruments and I think I want to really get down into that. I really want people to hear that we're really tight and coherent with our staff. I don't really feel constricted at all. I just, want, I just want it to be fun and I want it to be something I'm proud of. And if I'm proud of it, then I'm happy for other people to be good with it. Gabby,
0: apart from Cheeky Monkey, what are you reading?
2: You know what? This is going to sound basic as hell. Because it's quarantine season, I've actually been rereading the Harry Potter books. Hang on. And it's Harry a season
0: Potter, now, is it?
2: I've been calling it quarantine season. Well, I mean, technically it's 90 days as far as the government's concerned, this lockdown. I'd call that a season. But, yeah, I've been rereading Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm at the fifth book now. I'm so sorry it's not more academic than that.
0: That's fine, but uh, are yeah. you a person who doesn't watch the movies or do you do all of it?
2: I do all of that. I really do. Um, I'm Obviously I prefer the books. And that's actually a very specific to my generation thing that a comfort medium is harry potter i find a lot of people on twitter at the moment have been like has anyone else been rereading all the potter books and i'm like that's such a phenomenon it's so interesting for people within like i don't know seven years of my age before and after they're just like yeah harry potter is what i'll do now if i've got nothing else to do
0: obviously you can't go out to the cinema but what celluloid mm. type things are like long form movies have been taking your fancy
2: recently watched i re-watched actually i really love this one there's a french film called the Intouchables. Which is, I think, what it might not be the right movie. There is an English adaptation of this movie that's nowhere near as good, but The Intouchables is a French film about a disabled man who hires this rough as guts dude from the streets as a carer. It's so good. It's one of my favorite movies. And yes, it's in subtitles. I'm not one of those people that watches exclusively subtitle artsy films, but that one, I really, really enjoy. And I also really liked recently Whiplash again the movie about the jazz drummer and J.K. Simmons is in it. Really great film, one of my favourites. Like to anybody who hasn't seen it, they think, oh, it's probably like a music film, it's a music film. It's actually more of a, it's not really a thriller, but it's definitely like a psychological, it's one of the most tense films I've sort of ever seen. Like it's, it leaves you, particularly as a musician though, it does leave you in a really tense spot. It's about this dynamic between this band leader at kind of, I think it's not Juilliard, But he goes to a school of that calibre, like a high-level music school, and he's this student drummer. And it's about this power struggle between this kid wanting this teacher's validation and the teacher is just one of the most psychologically damaging people. But J.K. Simmons does it so well, like definitely one of the best actors ever in that film. Yeah, it's sort of all about the lengths that this student will go to to, I guess, be the best at what he can be in that band and he goes to some crazy lengths.
0: Has Kelly, your drummer, seen it or would you recommend her seeing it?
2: I actually have no idea. I'll have to ask her this after this. I'm sure she would have. But if she hasn't, I would definitely tell her to watch it because not only does it obviously have that whole psychological element, but the music used in it is incredible stuff. Old school jazz, like concert jazz band stuff, but like Caravan and um, really, really great soundtrack as well.
0: We've been dancing around jazz a little. Favourite jazz mm. musician or jazz period?
2: Oh. oh, my God. I cannot go past Ella Fitzgerald. And I know that's like the most obvious response. But Ella Fitzgerald and Nina Simone are the most incredible vocalists and writers. I like to think I'm a lot more influenced by that time just after that, like the soul time. So Stevie, uh, Stevie Wonder. Obviously Stevie Nicks as well, though. I love Fleetwood Mac. Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin. Oh, I got to, got to try a little tenderness. St- Otis Redding. Um, that whole soul movement that came after uh, classic jazz, but Ella Fitzgerald and Nina Simone, Queens.
0: Well, in terms of Ella and Nina, do you see them as being at the the forefront of what was coming next, that the next uh, stage Absolutely. needed them? Absolutely. Is that what it is about them?
2: Yeah, and, and I also think it's really interesting too because you find yourself in that argument as well, just sorry trailing from your question a tiny bit, like people saying, oh, music never used to be this political. Like a lot of I see a lot of arguments sometimes in the comment sections of articles about other musicians writing political songs. And you look at Nina and Ella's stuff, and if you really listen to particularly Nina's, Nina Simone's stuff, she talks about racism within America. At the time she was one of the most best-selling artists in jazz America. Like that's brave. That's proper brave as a as a black woman in America to be singing about racism in that time. Like, of course music was political. Like, I just, I always love to direct people back to, they are 100% some of the absolute trendsetters uh, of what was to come in music and some of the best music as well.
0: Is protest music dead?
2: No, no. I think it's, artists deal with frustration through their art. Like that, it's, that's been the way it's been forever. Artists, Art is born out of either adversity or empathy or just the world around you influences what you do protest songs will always be needed always be relevant in fact actually chris schubert the man i mentioned before who put together the christmas album actually just started writing a protest song just because he's also very influenced by those old school soul writers and ray charles and stuff and he feels the same way like It's always relevant to write about what you believe in, whether that be politics or love songs or breakup songs. As long as you firmly believe in it and have a grounding in that, always, always write protest songs. They will always be relevant.
0: What is the collaboration process like for you?
2: We started writing this together back when we could still see each other. So when I'm normally writing in collaboration with other people when we can be in a room together, I try and take the idea of like just Take everything and run with it so the moment somebody comes up with an idea I try it I try everything I like to try everything I get suggested to me I do that with everything I do. if somebody try asks me to do something I'll try it out and then I'll decide if I don't like it so working with other people is really quite fun and really easy because they others almost 100% of the time come up with something that I would never come up with in a million years Chris is really interesting like that, too, because he's a very, very good, not only a great singer and writer, but he's also a much better piano player than I am. I'm very much more rhythmically influenced. And so seeing Chris come up with these piano licks that I would never think up in a million years is great because it makes me a better player and a better writer as well. You can only get better by doing and doing with other people. Writing with other people is such a great way to learn to write.
0: Because we were talking about earlier about the TJ and yourself bringing two different experiences Mm. together and and it is that, isn't it? It's giving a a sense of firmness in your lyrical abilities or songwriting with another and may that be musically or lyrically.
2: I'm quite extroverted anyway too, so I've always really enjoyed making friends and one of the easiest ways I've ever done it is just by playing with people who can tune in with what I'm doing. My biggest task as a songwriter and as a collaborator is to tune in with what the other person is doing and not make it about me, like make it about the tune. Quite interesting the way that the sort of jigsaw puzzles come together when you've got your own perspective and then somebody else brings their own perspective and then it makes this interesting collaboration that you never saw coming. I think that's one of my favourite parts about songwriting.
0: What's the song that's doing it for you right now?
2: At the moment, it's Walt Grace by John Mayer. For me, I just can't stop listening to it. It's just one of my favourite songs. It's actually one of his, under, like, really underground sort of songs, but I love the story. I just love it. That's just one of my favourite songs by him. The story is about this guy, Walt Grace, no one believed in, and he builds a submarine, and he sails away, I think, to Tokyo. I, th- I can't remember where he's from in, originally, but he sails, and he leaves his family. He up and leaves his life, and the whole town that he's from, this small town, telling that he'll never make it and he'll never do it. The way that the song lyrically ends... It's quite open-ended, so some people who are more optimistic would hear the ending and go, oh, he made it, and he phoned his wife and told them, and the whole town celebrated him. Or because the line is, the operator connected the call from Tokyo. She accepted the news she never expected. And so people have been for ages trying to figure out whether the news she never expected was that he died on the way or that he made it. And so I just think it's just very clever, and it's just so underrated, and it's a beautiful story.
0: It also goes to that, uh, of Mayer's ability of actually constructing that story in a visual element through his uh, lyrical ability.
2: and I love listening to it for that reason because I can just close my eyes and see it all play out in front of me.
0: Without being a bastard, it sounds like you haven't had the opportunity of seeing John Mayer in a 300- local pub venue as some of us have
2: I haven't I did see him for the first time live last year in a stadium and it was still it was brilliant I had the best time but I would love to see him in a small crowd my god that would be the dream
0: what is your favorite live performance
2: I actually going back to a name I mentioned earlier I saw Alan Stone um, live at the Metro
0: this is an artist thanks to you yeah. I'll be
2: discovering. Oh my God, I'm so excited for you because the first time I listened to him was truly magic. Yeah, and he played quite a small crowd. And we ended up buying, me and my friend TJ, ended up buying VIP tickets because they were so cheap. His general admission tickets were like 60 bucks. And then for an extra, I think, 70 or 80, you could get a VIP. So you'd meet him, you saw his sound check, he'd give you like a merch thing, you could get his new album. And so we just went, yeah, why not? I mean, May as well. We both love him. And he was not only the most amazing musician to see live, that show was so incredible. We were front row. He got the whole crowd singing in three parts. And I found that a lot of that crowd were also musos because he is quite an unknown artist. So the people who know him are obviously musos of that same sort of genre. And it was just such a joyful show and a beautifully well done like set, the way the set moved was incredible. All of the players of his band were also amazing. And to top it all off, I just think it's always the best when you finally meet somebody you've really, really idolized for a while. And they're also just such a lovely person. That guy is the nicest. He was just, he met every single one of us individually, had a conversation with us each. It was such a nice experience. I'd 10 out of 10, live it again. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, He doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. That's what
0: speaking about three-part harmonies, you're the queen there of those when it's Uh, at the moment.
2: (laughs) I wouldn't say as much as that. But yeah, no, I I do love harmonies. I love doing harmonies. I guess I get that from my dad. Because my dad He's also a singer and a guitarist. He plays guitar, not professionally, but he was in a pub rock band, as they all are, back out this way. From a very, very young age, was sort of taken along to little pub rock rehearsals. Some of the first songs I ever learnt were amongst, you know, take a load off and it, all that stuff. Uh, Cold Chisel, the the Divinals, all that. So, yeah, my dad, because he could naturally hear harmony, he did a lot of singing to us and so did mum. Mum will say she can't sing, but she can. Dad's got quite a good ear so I think I naturally sort of inherited that and then because I did classical piano for so long and you learn about interval theory and all of that, I could apply it a lot quicker. Love doing harmonies.
0: As a music tutor, Mm. do you really get the sense that harmonies are that, that they can bring harmony?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean a lot of people shut themselves down to singing harmony because they think it's something you have to inherit. And look, I will say it is easier if you have a really good natural ear But if you understand the theory of just even if you think of intervals as steps and you think, okay, well, if note one is here on this bottom step and I need the third, I will step up too. And you can naturally start to teach yourself. You can always teach yourself to have an ear. I think it takes a little bit more work if you don't naturally have one, but you can teach yourself to do that. I tell all my kids that they're capable of harmony.
0: Are there any up-and-coming singer-songwriters in your kids, so to speak?
2: Actually, well, they're not all my kids. There's quite a few because a lot of my music friends out this way make their living as teachers as well. And so we all kind of compare kids, not in a competitive way, but we all talk about each other's students and like what they're up to. And so the community here actually has a program called the Local Emerging Artists Program. And every single year they get kids in and we do workshops. Well, not me. Smith and Jones actually help out with this a lot more, the Girl Duo.
0: And does the program Um, have an acronym of LEAP?
2: Yes. So Local Emerging Artists Program. It runs in conjunction with the festival that runs here every year called the Inland Sea of Sound Festival. It's a fairly new festival. We just had Missy Higgins here.
0: So you got to perform on the same bill as Missy Higgins recently?
2: Yeah, absolutely crazy. I mean, we were on different stages, but because I had the pass, I always love to go and see if I can have a quick word. In late 2018, it happened and it was the Cat Empire. And I loved that too. Her band and her were lovely. And my brother also covered it. So he met, I didn't go the night before I couldn't, I was sick. But my brother also met the other headliner, Killing Heidi, who he was absolutely amazed by because he always loved them too. So yeah, it's really awesome that this little country town gets some great names down here now. And and yeah, and so the Local Emerging Artists Programme supports kids trying to start gigging and it gives them a gig at the Inland Sea of Sound Festival earlier in the day as well so they can work on a professional stage and try out their stuff and try out their songwriting and play in a band. And It's so good to see. So, yes, there will absolutely be people coming from my job in about two or three years. <laughs> when did you first
0: get into the Missy Higgins?
2: I have the advantage of having started playing an instrument very, very young. I started classical piano at five, which is I'm still to this day because I have such a short attention span. I'm amazed I even stayed with it. So I learned quite early how to do chords and stuff because I'd started so early on anyway. So yeah, the first song I ever played in my life was at a school talent quest, which was Scar, because it was 2005, I was in year three. I'd listened to The Sound of White, that album, maybe 50 times that year. I loved it. I still love it. It's still such a good album. And I went through a real phase of Aussie music, particularly Aussie females. Definitely Killing Heidi, Missy Higgins, Kate Miller-Heidke, Seeker a Keeper. At the same time, you know, around 12, a couple of years later, I started looking at comedy as I was talking about earlier and that's where Tim Minchin came into effect. So to see Tim Minchin and Missy Higgins release a single together, I was so happy. I think it's great. I think Australia as well has that kind of communal effect with musicians. I think particularly it's something very interesting about the fact that our country is so small. We are always so willing to work with one another and it's nice to see constantly collaborations between different types of artists, even in the national sense.
0: Gabby Volt, thanks for joining Radio
1: Notes.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time.
1: Gabby Bolt. Their latest EP is Grey Into Blue. They can be found online at gabbybolt.com.
0: Next time we'll be joined by the number one country music singer, songwriter extraordinaire from Australia, Casey Barnes. Thanks very much to our feature guest this week, Gabby Bolt, who you can catch on TikTok.
2: It's at Fettuccini, like the pasta, and then fettu, as in you're starting to write fettuccini again, Queen.
1: And Bandcamp. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.
2: Yesterday, I bought them a whole bunch of jigsaw
0: puzzles, I can assure you, over the next few months, we're gonna consider those jigsaw puzzles absolutely essential.